0: Hi, welcome to the Mamas Know Best, We Got Something to Say podcast. For months, we take time to prepare and educate ourselves on this new adventure of motherhood. But as we all know, once the baby is born, we're still left with so many questions and need all the help we can get. Women really should have a sense of empowerment as they begin to experience these life-changing moments and no one mother has it all figured out. However, the more informed we are, the better decisions we can make that will positively affect us and our family. And that's what this podcast is about, sharing honest, raw, and real conversations about motherhood, life, and all of the crazy, messy, beautiful in-betweens to hopefully educate, empower, and support the next mother on her motherhood journey. So sit back and enjoy. Hello, and welcome to the Mamas Know Best. We got something to say podcast. I am on with a very special guest, Dr. Melanie Mc McNally is a licensed clinical psychologist who helps Gen Zers become the superheroes of their life stories. She provides online support through teletherapy and coaching, online programs, and books that teach Gen Zers how to build self-confidence, manage anxiety, and achieve their goals. Dr. McNally founded Therapy Bootcamp, an app-based psychoeducational service for Gen Zers to get therapy tools delivered right to their phones. Therapy Bootcamp is an eight week program where bootcampers build self-awareness and develop coping tools all while being able to DM Dr. McNally directly. Her next bootcamp starts June 13th. Dr. McNally has worked in the mental health field since 2005 and teaches the skills, strategies, and tools that she herself has used and continues to use. She lives in the forest of the upper peninsula of Michigan with her husband and two dogs. And you can learn more about her at destinationu.net. Dr. McNally's mission is to help Gen Zers become the superheroes of their life stories by teaching them how to manage anxiety and build self confidence. Dr. McNally it's such a pleasure to have you on how are you today. I'm good and thank you so much for having me today. Okay before we begin let's do my icebreaker round what is your favorite book.
1: My favorite book, so this is a tough one because I read a whole, whole, whole lot, but a book that I constantly come back to that I'm always referring people to, it's called Beyond Words, What Animals Think and Feel. And it's a great book that kind of just shows how emotionally complex animals are. And I'm all about connecting with nature and wildlife. So I. it's a really great book.
0: Sounds very interesting. What is your superpower or superpowers? Um, I would say my superpower is my
1: assertiveness. I often forget that this is something that does not come naturally or easily to a lot of people, pretty much born assertive. In fact, when I was in preschool, my mom went up to the preschool teacher and said, should I be worried about how aggressive Melanie is? And the teacher replied, let me put it this way. No one's ever going to steal her crayons. And that's just kind of how I've always been. I have no problem standing up for myself or for what I think is right. And it's something that I'm good at, but I also try and teach other people to do because I feel like it's a really important
0: skill it is i think as even as you were saying and i'm like well i think it's something in myself as well i don't know if i was born assertive but it's definitely something i've developed over time and more so in my later years of life i'll be 40 in a couple of years and i think it's it's something that isn't even, even as i get older like it's like no these are my boundaries this is what it is so i think it is a very important skill because a lot of people even older older people that that are older than me don't have
1: Yes, 100%. And sometimes I forget that people don't have it. And I'm like, well, why didn't you, you know, put down that boundary? Or why didn't you just say something that I have to remember? Oh, this isn't something that comes easily to a lot of people, especially women.
0: For sure. If you could travel back in time, do you have a specific period of time or a year of your own life that you would like to go back to? You know,
1: I would really like to just probably go back to probably a time of, you know, Native Americans on the land when it was undeveloped before things were built up. And just to kind of be able to explore and see what our country looked like without cities and without development and
0: with a lot of animals roaming. I think that would be pretty cool. Sounds pretty cool. What are the values that guide you and your family?
1: We are a little motto in our, our family and our family, you know, with my husband and my dogs, but our motto is teamwork makes the dream work. We constantly say that, you know, that we are always doing things to support one another to make our dream work, which is to live where we live and live the type of life we live. And it takes teamwork to do that.
0: Definitely does. Okay, why don't you tell my listeners a little bit more about you before we kind of dive into or you can dive into that immediately as well if you want becoming a doctor of psychology and how you got into that.
1: Yeah, so I grew up in a pretty dysfunctional family. And on top of that, I struggled with anxiety. So I worried all the time, I worried about everything, grades, you know, friends, swimming, softball, what people thought of me. You know, my parents' constant fighting, you named it, I worried about it. And on top of that, I was raised that you never talk about what was going on inside of you. That was something that you hold on to, you keep it private. So here I was dealing with all this family stress, I was anxious, and I felt like I had to bottle it all inside, I didn't know what to do with it. Well, when I went off to college for undergrad, I ended up learning about psychology And I loved it. And I started thinking I wanted to be a high school counselor, but I thought I needed some more experience. You know, I felt like, how can I help high schoolers deal with their own issues and their own problems if I myself haven't really learned how to do that? And also if I haven't really lived. So off I went to San Francisco, where I gathered enough life experience to probably fill a few lifetimes. And I went to therapy, I learned how to manage my own anxiety, I learned how to set boundaries in my family, to have healthier relationships with people. And I finally felt ready to return to graduate school. So first to get a master's degree in counseling and then to get a doctorate in clinical psychology. So I went on to work in some group practices and then finally went out on my own and opened my own private practice. And I had my own brick and mortar practice in the suburbs of Chicago up until the pandemic hit. And I was already starting to see some clients online. I was already starting to do teletherapy prior to the pandemic. So then when everything shut down, I was able to just transition everybody over online. It was really smooth. And then during that time, my husband and I started spending some more time at our cabin in the upper peninsula of Michigan And since I was seeing everybody online and then we were up here, like, you know what, we kind of like it up here. I think we could make this work. So we decided to sell our house and I closed my practice. And so that now I do everything online and we live in the, the forest. So we have 40 acres. We're, we butt up against a national forest. So we're just surrounded by the woods and live here with our, our doggies and all the wildlife that come and visit
0: couple of questions there, but my first one immediately is where, how far is your next neighbor? So our next neighbor is about a half
1: mile down. We have a private road that we have one neighbor with 60 acres, another, a neighbor with 40. And so the three of us share this private road and then we butt up against the the national forest. So it's nice because even though we're private and really remote, we do have these two neighbors where we can you know if we get stuck or if there's an issue we do have people that we can rely on so it doesn't feel totally isolating and scary which it probably could
0: for sure i think having that peace of mind a hundred percent because that's what made me think i'm like wait a minute where's the nearest neighbor and then how far are you from like a grocery store or you know what does that look like for you So our closest
1: grocery store, it's about like 35 minutes or so. So we're out, you know, we're we're off some dirt roads and some gravel roads and stuff. So you gotta kind of dig a little bit to to get to us. And then, but then once you hit the main road, you know, it's about 35 minutes to get to the grocery store.
0: And that's not so bad. We were in North Carolina recently and our friend lives on top of a mountain. They don't have six, 40 acres. It's like three acres, but they have, you know, their neighbors spread apart, but to go from the top of the mountain to the bottom is about 30 minutes. And then it's another, maybe 25, 30 minutes to the nearest large grocery store. So I wanted to know where you guys are at in conjunction with that, but it did seem pretty cool. And I mean, they're Island people. They're actually from Jamaica and they freaking love it they have chickens and all of that and I'm like god that is a pretty cool way to live right you know to kind of go remote so I'm living vicariously through you telling me this story and our friends that live in North Carolina but I do want to take it to your journey of psychology so you say your superpower is assertiveness how did you bridge that of coming from this dysfunctional household where you couldn't you weren't really allowed to express yourself, but innately you are this person that wants to set or does for as much as you can, right? Set the clear boundaries. How did you navigate that? And what is that correlation, if any, to have that anxiety of being like, okay, I'm always worrying about this, but at the same token, you're also assertive to say, I'm not going to deal with this. I'm not going to stand for this. Can you talk a little about that?
1: Yeah, so I, even though I was in a house where you don't talk about your feelings with anyone else, I definitely expressed my feelings within the house. So I, was able to assert myself very loudly and probably in a way that was pretty dysfunctional myself with my specifically with my dad, because he was physically abusive towards my mom. So I had no problem stepping in. I had no problem, you know, fighting him off and things like that. So I could do it at home, but then when it came to leaving the house That wasn't something I was sharing with anyone, you know, that was like top secret private information. You don't tell anyone what's going on at home.
0: Understood. And no, and that's a big responsibility, a big cross to bear for someone at that age to experience that. And then I can see where then the assertiveness grows and you're stepping in, but then yet not being able to share as you're silently kind of going through that. And I'm sure we can spend so much time in talking about your own journey to kind of where you are now, but now that specifically in reading your bio with Gen Zers and things, I have a I have a son, he's four, so I am always appreciative of these kind of conversations, you know, number one, to kind of put out there, especially to my parents that have teenagers, a lot of them are like, what about us? There's no, I mean, there's no handbook in general for parenthood, but I think we're in this this information age where there's Instagram and there's peaceful parenting and we're trying to get it at the toddler stage and all of these things and these keywords that are out there. But it's like, what about the teenagers? So speak on my first question regarding that is what would be the number one reason or thing of why a teenager would come to you? And then that impactfulness of the social media on teens health.
1: Yeah. Oh my goodness. Social media and teens health. That's, that's a whole, a whole thing in itself. But the biggest reason why most um, people reach out to me, whether it's like the teens or the parents of the teens, it's usually parents that reach out to me and sometimes are kind of pushed by their teen to find a therapist, but it's usually because they're feeling so anxious. They're having difficulty controlling their worry. They're so, you know, worried about what people think of them, that they feel almost like frozen, like they can't go to school or when they're at school, they can't participate in the way that they want to because they're so worried about what people will think of them or being judged. So that constant fear of being judged And then I also have a lot of teens who come to me because their self-worth is so low, you know, and and they identify it. There's a lot of information now out there for teens to learn about self-esteem and self-confidence. So they know that it's a problem for them and they'll come to me and say, my self-esteem is really low. I need help with that. And that plays into the next part of your question with social media that is a huge reason why a lot of teens' mental health is suffering. You know, it's it's a big factor. When you look at, I know, you said you're almost 40, I'm 46. Like when I grew up and probably the same for you, we we weren't exposed to a constant onslaught of news. You know, we had, my parents had nightly news on. That was it. Maybe they got the newspaper, and that was all the news information I knew about. Now, kids are learning, they're getting news, you know, on Twitter, they're getting it on Snapchat, they get it on TikTok. They're constantly learning about current events, and a lot of the current event information that they're getting is not helpful. It's not information that they can do anything about they're they're learning about climate change racial injustice economic inequality wars you know poverty they're they're learning about all of these things going on in the world that they feel like they have zero power over and that has a big impact on them and then on top of that they are being fed information that is put through filter upon filter. So they're getting people's highlight reels, you know, they're getting photoshopped images with all kinds of filters on it. So, you know, somebody looks completely different than how they look in real life. And then that makes them feel like they're not pretty enough. They're not skinny enough. You know, maybe they're not social enough. They're not popular enough. And so they're getting that inundated with that type of message as well.
0: For a grown woman as myself, 38 to be exact, I suffer with that of my own thing, of sometimes having to take a step back. And thankfully, I do have that foundation to where I think I can I can recognize it and be like, whoa, 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 remember, just like you said, this is someone's highlight reel. They they might look like they have it going on. They're just human like I have to actively talk and I, I'm grown. So I can imagine on a on a youth. How that would make someone feel. But what worries me is all of the suicide, right? That we see. And I'm sitting here, I'm like, oh my gosh. And from the outside, you think they have it all together. They're these two beautiful girls, they're successful, XYZ, and suffering with what they're suffering from. So My next question to you would be, what age then would you recommend for parents to have their children go on social media? And what kind of discussions should they be having? Because to, to one side of it, you want to, at least how I feel, to be honest with your children and say, yes, this is what's going on, et cetera, et cetera. But on the flip side, like you said, they're inundated with so much information, how much is too much information? So yeah, so one is an age that you should be, and then how do you have these conversations to say this is what? this is and to recognize that?
1: Yeah. So first I want to say that I feel for parents because I feel like parents are really painted into a corner when it comes to devices and social media, because it is such a common thing for young, you know, kids are getting younger and younger when they're being handed phones and when they're on social media And then it puts pressure on all the other parents, like that they have to do it because so-and-so at school, you know, he already has a phone, so I should have one too, or so-and-so is allowed to, you know, watch TikTok. I should be allowed to do it too. So I feel like parents are in a really difficult place. And I, I feel for you, that's a tough spot to be in, but I can say that what research shows is that kids, first of all, shouldn't get devices before the age of 10. And that's even different than what pediatricians recommend. Or pediatricians will actually even tell parents that kids can be on for about an hour a day starting at, I don't know, age two or something like that. But research shows that the earlier you have kids on devices, the worse it is for brain development. There is research showing that They are not getting neural activity when they are constantly engaged with this type of stimulation, because that's what, you know, these devices are. They're not, it's not a flat screen. It's not just passively watching TV. They're engaging, they're touching, they're moving things around. If they're older, they might be commenting and getting likes and getting social approval. So they, it's a very different experience than watching TV. And we know that it does have an impact on neural activity. We know that kids do not know how to be bored. They don't know how to tolerate discomfort. And also they, they don't get the opportunity to be bored, which we know a lot happens when kids are bored. We know that that is really good. Boredom is so good for brain development. So first and foremost, they really shouldn't even have devices that they're on at home before the age of 10. And for social media, you know, if you can, as a parent, I would say don't let your kid have a social media account until they start high school. And I know that's older than what you hear and what a lot of most parents do. But if you can find ways to fill up their time with hobbies that are, that they enjoy with sports and activities where they get an opportunity to find things that they're good at, to find things that they enjoy, that is so good for brain development when they're on social media They that opportunity is being taken away and they will not have they will not want to do sports and activities. They will not want to be active. They will lose that sense of urgency to find passion and to find something that they're good at. And once you start going down that pathway, it's really hard to get them off of it. So the longer you can keep them off that road and keep them where they're building, you know, skills and activities and hobbies and interests and passions and keep them away, the better that will be for brain development and for their mental health.
0: Gosh. And I mean, I put it back to, for anyone listening, think of it even as adults, you know, I can find myself scrolling and looking at a TikTok video, 10, 15, 20 minutes. And I'm like, oh shoot. Like I haven't even been productive, but again, I am an established, I have a foundation as an adult, so I know let's do this, but there might be another adult who might not be able to have that. And I think sometimes it does get easier, especially if you can wallow in certain things or you might stay longer in that, but even more so for a child to then kind of get wrapped up in how easy it is to kind of get, and is lazy, the right word, or just complacent with it to where then they're just like obsessed with whatever this is that they're watching.
1: Yeah. And they they get in, you know, they, they lead an inactive lifestyle. And what we know is that Gen Zers are already the least active generation. And so Gen Z is like anyone ages, like currently they're around like 11 to 22 essentially. And they are the least active generation. And right now they are they are the generation that is reporting lower life contentment than any other generation at their age, higher levels of anxiety and depression. And that's actually become much worse during since the pandemic. So they're already struggling with mental health. And I cannot tell you how many teens I work with that will tell me I hate my phone. I scroll on it. I'm bored. I it's taking me like, I don't even want to hang out with friends because it's just easier to be on the phone, but I feel like, like they, I they have they, no they, control.
0: They. Yeah. They have no self-control. That's very, very, very scary. Ladies, are you tired of feeling overworked and under-recognized for your impact at work? And are you curious about how to do the inner work to own your worth so you can feel confident making the bold asks, negotiating for more, and creating your ideal career? Ashi Perret, a previous guest, is a successful leadership and negotiation coach who is offering you the special opportunity to experience the power of private coaching with her. She will give you the tools necessary to grow your career on your own terms by being authentic in tough conversations, building bridges through negotiation, and trusting that no is not the end. Head over to www.ownyourworth.com to book an exclusive 30-minute private consultation. And like you said, you know, it's, t- it's a tough spot for a parent to be in because in one hand, you're like, but all the other kids are doing it and do you want your child to be the one who doesn't? But on the flip side, it makes sense of why this is. And I think the proof is unfortunately there when you hear stories of high, high suicide rates. So to kind of pivot to my next question on the topic of the anxiety and everything that comes with it, What are some ways teens and young adults can recognize and reduce their anxiety? So a
1: good way to recognize it is to, first of all, to look at, you know, because anxiety we know can be helpful. There's a purpose to it. You know, if I'm anxious about a test, I'm going to be more motivated to study for it. I'm gonna prepare a little bit harder. The anxiety is gonna push me, but it can cross that line into harmful territory if I'm so anxious that I procrastinate, or I have stomach aches and headaches, or I can't sleep the night before. So first of all, they have to recognize when anxiety is helping them and when it's hurting them. And they can do that through, you know, looking at physical symptoms that they're experiencing. And they can also work on identifying their feelings and building up a good emotional vocabulary so that they have the words to express how they're feeling and to help them kind of pinpoint what's going on, if it's stress or if it's anxiety. But then once they've recognized that, okay, this is something that's causing me harm, it's kind of crossed that line because now I'm procrastinating or I'm so anxious that I can't even focus, then that's a sign that they need to do something about it. So they, they need to have kind of like a little arsenal of tools that are helpful for them, whether that's journaling, yoga, you know, going for a walk, spending time with friends, you know, playing with the dog, but having something that doesn't involve a screen that will help them reduce their, their level of stress and anxiety.
0: Since I do have many parents that listen to this, are there ways that they or things that they can do to connect with their children or their young teens? Like you said, to try and get them away from the phone, what are certain things that, what are some ways that parents can connect with their, you know, 10 year old, especially as they get older? As you know, it becomes more difficult to find that. Common denominator? Yeah, you know, I would say first and foremost for families, especially if you are
1: a family that eats dinner together, make it where phones and devices are turned off and not even brought to the dinner table so that you can really connect. If you're a family where you're not able to eat dinner together, then have time that phones are not involved. If that means no phones in the car, or if you have a certain day of the week where everyone's devices are shut off, because then that opens up the space to connect. Because we know that when research shows that when phones, even if a phone is face down on a table, just having it present reduces our attention and our level of connection with each other. So that's one thing parents can do. But I encourage parents to have some sort of shared interest with your kid. You know, if that's like a love of, you know, gardening, or maybe you're both really into a certain show that you can watch together just like once a week, not binge watching, but just once a week. And then you can kind of talk about it in between and, you know, decide like what you think is going to happen next and why that can be a source of connection. So those are good ways for parents to connect with their kids. But then also I always tell parents to look at, Any time your kid shares with you, especially when they're a tween or teen, look at it as whatever they're sharing with you, that's like a little door opening. Your job, if it's just a little crack, your job is to try and open that door wider, not to slam it shut. And so you wanna open it wider by asking questions that elicit like curiosity. You wanna ask, you know, like, you know, maybe they're sharing something about a friend and you would say like, you know, how do you feel about what your friend did? Or, you know, what would you have done if that had happened to you? So you're asking open-ended questions. You're not jumping into problem-solving mode. You're not judging because if you do those things, you're immediately slamming that door closed and missing an opportunity to learn about what they're thinking and feeling and also to connect with them
0: so powerful. And it's so true. I mean, it's something I've recognized and that I try and do with my four year old. And again, because we have the peaceful parenting, the conscious parenting of having these conversations of understanding that even though my son is four, he still has feelings and can recognize them. So at an early age, you know, the things that sometimes I'm even blown away of the conversations that we've had and where his curiosity goes, and he can even recognize where maybe, and I see him watching my face, like, is mommy gonna judge me? Like, where is this coming? And I'm like, geez, he's only four. So imagining missing all those moments. And then as they get older, it's just even more so, I would imagine where you feel even more far away. If you're not tapping into those moments that you can have a true deep discussion because then I think you're learning a lot about your, your child and, and having that conversation that you wouldn't have normally had. And, and then thinking that they're just a child when it's like, no, they have their own thoughts and feelings and opinions. Um, aside from what you believe or what you think.
1: Right. exactly. And you know, a, a parent's job is to, you know, kind of nurture them as a, you know, grow into their own person. It's not to try and shape them into the person you want them to be, but to kind of allow them to grow into the person that they're going to be. and you you're not going to let them do that if you're yet shaming them or judging them or just constantly shutting them down.
0: stay with the whole topic of of parenthood is saying that is one of the difficult aspects of it is healing your own trauma while you're also trying to parent so how can parents who are having their own mental health issues how can they ensure that their condition doesn't negatively impact their children and how can they work together in saying okay well i have this one issue How do I not project it onto my child and how can I still have a healthy relationship with my child and teaching them their own healthy boundaries?
1: Yeah. For parents who are struggling with their own mental health issues, definitely getting into therapy themselves so that you're, you know, so that parent is learning kind of where, where they're struggling, they're getting the opportunity to reflect and to, you know, grow and evolve themselves. And then making sure when they're at home that they're kind of, they're doing like check-ins, you know? So if they overreact to something and being able to check in and be like, okay, where did that come from? Was that, did that have something to do with me and my own trauma? Or is that something that came from, you know, was, am, am I tired? Was that kind of like a basic human function that just happened? Or does it really have to do with a behavior with my child that I'm trying to mold or I'm trying to change a little bit? So checking in with themselves when something happens and then also when a parent does get upset with their child and if it has something to do more with their own mental health issues, it's okay to go to your child and say and to apologize and to say, you know, I had a really big overreaction I'm sorry that I behaved that way. I got really upset and you don't have to over explain where it came from or why, because that can be really overwhelming. And depending on the kid that might even feel a little unsafe, but if you just explain, I had an overreaction and I'm sorry, that is huge. And that means a lot.
0: And then to pivot back to the anxiety how can parents determine, and I, I know you touched base on it a little bit of really recognizing that some stressors are good. Some anxiety is even good. And, you know, the... adrenaline we get with certain things that we then mistake for uh, anxiety but it's something that makes us feel that we're alive it's just a part of our DNA truthfully how can parents determine something that's truly truly serious and borderline you know that they might think their child can harm themselves or someone else what are some signs to look for and other things and I I guess other than I would imagine getting help would be the top of recognizing and then taking that next step
1: (laughs) Yeah. So anything that is negatively impacting the child's level of functioning. So when we think of kids, you know, their level of functioning is social at school and at home. And so looking at whatever it is that they're struggling with, whether it's anxiety or they're irritable, or they seem sad all the time or low motivation, looking at how is this impacting their friendships? How is this impacting them at school? How is this impacting them at home? And if you notice that these issues are having a a very, you know, a strong negative impact on their level of functioning, then that's a sign that you need professional help. And that could come from the school social worker, the school psychologist, or your local therapist, but that they need a, they need some type of intervention to help them. But then you also mention the things that are, you know, just absolute red flags, if they're talking about wanting to die, if they're talking about wanting to kill themselves, if you are noticing mysterious bruises or scratches or cuts, or where they're not wanting to wear shorts or short sleeves in really warm weather, you know, then that can be a sign that perhaps some self-harm is going on. And then parents need to check in and see, but in a way Way that's non judgmental. It's okay to ask, Are you thinking of killing yourself? It's okay to ask them, Are you hurting yourself? Are you causing some type of physical harm to yourself? A lot of times parents think if I ask these questions, I'm planting ideas in their head. And that's not true. We know that those ideas, if they're doing those things, if they're thinking about suicide, those ideas are already there. And you want them to feel like they can talk to you about it. So it's okay to ask those questions.
0: That's a, that's really powerful. So thank you for, for putting that disclaimer and saying, no, that's okay to ask that. Before we dive into your therapy boot camp, my next question is, what do you think is the future of therapy and counseling? I go to therapy and it's something that has been a game changer, but she is an older woman and not to say anything other than I'm like, okay, we're, we're good with that. But I can't imagine if maybe she was counseling a teenager and even based on our conversations, I think some things are just generational, right? That we just are imprinted in us. So I guess my, my, yeah, my question to you is what is the future of therapy and counseling for these next generations? Because I would imagine things change, you know, my therapist didn't have social media. So how can she really truly recognize, yeah, you could go through your studies and stuff of saying, okay, well they say this, but to truly understand what that effect is like and how we can help the mental health of future generations. Yeah,
1: yeah, definitely with working with teens, you have to be connected and kind of have your your finger on the pulse. It can't just be about reading research or attending trainings or anything like that. You know, teletherapy is, I know we're talking about getting kids away from screens and off devices, but teletherapy, well, first of all, research shows that teletherapy versus in office, there's actually no difference in terms of treatment outcomes. So we know that it doesn't have any sort of negative impact. What i I've actually seen is that when I meet with teens through a screen, they actually open up more because it takes away that vulnerability. It takes away any embarrassment. So I find that they actually open up a lot more. So I think that teletherapy, just the convenience, the fact that they're less vulnerable. I think that's a big step in terms of the future and what a lot of, you know, teens and Gen Zers want. I know also a lot of Gen Zers specifically tend to get their mental health information from TikTok, which is good and bad. If they follow the right people, they get really great information. If they don't, they get really harmful information. There's actually a digital contagion sort of effect that happens where, you know, people and there's influencers on TikTok who say that they have Tourette's or you know dissociative identity disorder, and they do all these symptoms, and then you know you see a huge increase of kids who claim that they have these really rare disorders like DID, which is extremely rare, and all of a sudden you have all these teens who claim they have it, so it can kind of be dangerous. So. I think having mental health professionals who are using social media platforms to raise awareness and to provide mental health information, I think is also a really positive next step. And then maybe even trying to get some of these influencers reported or getting their accounts taken down so that they can't spread this information.
0: But then I think it still goes back to if you're a parent who has that, to have the communication with your child and making sure that maybe you're both vetting this influencer out and looking at their credentials, like there are, there's so many people in the space in all different spaces, right? Everyone's a marketing expert, marketing guru, accounting expert, you know, all of these different things. And even I have to stop myself. And I'm like, well, what is their credentials that they're giving this information out? You know, some people package it and make it look really, 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 really nice, which is the scary part and so then everyone then becomes this follower so i think for any parent listening yeah i think it's it's true it's like you know then vet them out have the conversation with your child and say okay well if this is the tiktok person that you're getting this information from don't just dismiss it do like a quick background check and say okay well what is this person's thing is to then go because then i can see that argument with your teen right well like, she doesn't know what she's talking about you don't know mom she's been on this right like i could see like that being a big like argument so it's like maybe do it in the back and and then kind of bring it up so yeah so so, but let's jump into your therapy boot camp because I know that's coming up June 13th. And by the time this post will be then and probably even I believe before. So yeah, so talk to me about that. What does that entail and how can people register? Do they have to be a client with you?
1: Yeah, so therapy boot camp is an online program for tweens and teens and young adults to learn basically the, the foundational skills that I teach in therapy. So I developed this because... I have a wait list. I can't get people in. My colleagues are in the same boat. We. I wanted to have a resource available for kids who need mental health support. So I put together this eight-week course where they can access it from any preferred device. And each week is based on a different theme. And then whatever that theme is, they get an exercise or activity to do So it takes about 15 to 30 minutes a day. So for example, week one is about building self-awareness. So for that first week, they're getting exercises and activities to help them build their own self-awareness. You know, another week is on coping tools. So each day they learn a new coping tool, and then they have to practice it. And they have to check in with me and let me know how it went. So they can text with me and they can participate in a group chat aspect if they want, but they're not obligated to. So it's this eight week kind of program. They don't have to be in therapy with me. They don't have to be in therapy with anybody. If they're not, or they can also do it in conjunction with therapy. So, I have a lot of my clients who do boot camp while they're working with me. And then also, I have clients who aren't working with me, but they're working with a different therapist, but then they're also in boot camp at the same time.
0: That sounds great. I love anytime. You know, I talk with someone who like gives resources like that. So that's, that's great that you're doing that work. Okay. Let's, I'd like this portion of it where I kind of dive deep of with my guests. This is my habit section. So maybe share with my listeners again, their moms, women, business owners, or stay at home moms. Tell me what do you do <laughs> to make sure your tasks are done? What do you do to make sure that you're grounded and refreshed and that you're making time for self-care? What are your morning routine looks like? whatever that you want to package it up and make it sound like maybe share with my guests. Yeah. How you, how you make it all work for yourself.
1: Yeah. So I'm a planner. Um, I like to schedule out and plan my entire week in advance. So I already know what my work week looks like in terms of clients, but then on my off days, you know, if I have a podcast interview or if I have a training, I have to attend or whatever, I'm making sure that I'm looking at the week. And what I have scheduled for my off days and for my, my work days. And then once I kind of know what I have as far as like my work duties then i'm figuring out when can i fit in the stuff that is really good for my mental health like i love to mountain bike so i'll actually schedule that in you know what day can i fit that in or where can i fit in you know so i try and plan for these little extra things whether it's on a work day or an off day figuring out where that can go but also because you know I'm fortunate in terms of where i live we can walk out our front door and take the dogs on a hike so that's usually usually how my day starts. Every morning we get up with our dogs after they eat breakfast and we have some coffee. We're taking our dogs for a hike in the woods. And we do that pretty much regardless of the weather. As long as it's not negative 40, we're out there doing it. And even if it is, sometimes we're putting booties on them and jackets and doing a really short one. So I make sure I prioritize time outside in in nature, because for me, that's really grounding. And I know that that is a huge way for me to just fill my cup. So then I feel rejuvenated. I feel ready even in between clients. Sometimes I'll go outside for a few minutes and hang out because I know that how good that is for my mental health. I love it. And how can my listeners connect with you? So my website is destinationu.net and U is Y-O-U. If you're interested in boot camp, you can go to destinationu.net slash therapy hyphen bootcamp. If you're on Instagram, you can follow me there. I'm at Dr. Melanie McNally. And then I do have a free guide too, for your, for your community. So for parents who want to learn how to help their tweens and teens with problem solving, you can download my, my free guide at destinationu.net slash free guide.
0: Great. Do you have any other final thoughts to my podcast community? No, thank you so much for having me. And I, you
1: know, to parents out there, I know you, you know, it's a tough job. Make sure that you're
0: taking care of yourselves and that you're practicing some self-compassion. Thank you so much, Dr. McNally, for coming on, for sharing, you know, your own story and for dropping some gems to the podcast community. It's much appreciated and continued blessings for love and light. Thank you for joining me this week on the Mama's No Best, We Got Something to Say podcast. This podcast has been brought to you by our sponsor, NGC Consulting, where you can find them at NicoleGConsulting.com. For more motherhood resources, check out TheMotherhoodVillage.com. Make sure to subscribe to our show so you'll never miss an episode. And if you found value in this episode, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes or recommendation to a friend works too. And join us next time for another amazing conversation. Continued blessings to you all for love and light.